Hello, my lovely people, and welcome back to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we'll be talking about Capital Offense, Season 1, Episode 12, first aired January 6, 1985. Now, before we really get into this, just some housekeeping. First, my Patreon is now The Fletcher Files on Patreon. I finally caught up with the times uh, and you can go over there for early access to these podcasts as well as a monthly Murder, She Wrote book review. So you can go over there and look for the Fletcher Files on Patreon. Second and very important, a shout out to Cabot Cove Confidential and Damien and Jenny. They, you guys are amazing. I got a shout out. I'm a little behind on my episodes, but I think I'm up to date now. And it really, I really appreciate the shout out. Um, I've been listening to you guys from the beginning and it inspired me to do my own. I love you guys. Your banter is great. And I'm a fan of a tangent. So (laughs) I take a few here, but I, the information that I get from you guys, um, on just the most random things, I really appreciate it. Continue to do great, guys. So now let's get into this episode. So IMDB says that when a congressman suddenly dies from a heart attack, Jessica is asked to temporarily replace him in Washington. Now, I watched this on Prime, and their description was a little bit better, (laughs) says blackmail and political intrigue awaits Jessica when she is assigned to replace a deceased congressman in Washington, D.C. Yeah, that one's more my flavor. So (laughs) this is an episode I really, really like. So let's get into it. So we open up at an apartment, I'm assuming in Washington, D.C., where we meet um, Harry Parmel, Congressman Dan Kepner, and Ray Dixon. And they're waiting for Congressman Wendell Joyner. We also meet Marta. Now, uh, there's another woman also floating around in this apartment. Uh, I don't know what Marta's position is at this point. Or the other woman. We never learn her name. We don't hear anything else about her. (laughs) She's really just like background. So we see that Dan Kepner is clearly intoxicated, not completely drunk, but really, really close to it. Um, and he's like, oh, let's get this party started. Well, you know, where's Wendell? And uh, he clearly respects this guy. So uh, Ray and Harry are kind of speaking off to the side. And Ray's like, why did you promise that Wendell would come? You know, he hates me. And they're like, that's the only way that we could get Kepner here. So, um, suspicious. So (laughs) Wendell arrives and he already knows the deal. He already knows that this is a setup, that whatever they're trying to get out of Kepner, they're using him and his name to get there. Um, he calls out both Harry and Ray about, basically he knows that they're getting Kepner drunk. We find out more about Kepner and why this is uh, a problem. 
uh, later on in the episode. But um, Wendell is so upset at this point, he actually has a heart attack. And as he is laid out on the floor, uh, Marta has a cigarette lighter, a gold cigarette lighter that doubles as a camera. And she's taking pictures um, both inside the room and then again outside the room. So inside the room, she was taking it while everyone was alive and Wendell was there. And then after Wendell passed out, um, she was in the uh, in between the two open doors as she was closing it. She was taking a bunch of pictures of Ray, Harry, and Kepner all kneel down beside uh, Wendell, who's now passed out. They're like called ambulance. And I don't remember if it was Harry or Ray. It might have been Ray who said, no, we, can, we can't let anyone know. So we already know. We, are, we were already suspicious. Now it's confirmed. So the next scene, we are at Jessica's house. And she's on the phone talking with someone, I, I miss the lady's name, but about voter registration, how important it is. Now, I'm just going to take a pause right here, go on a little bit of a tangent. I think it is extremely interesting that this worked out that I'm doing this episode at a time such as this, where voter registration and voting is so important and it really really lets you know that every vote counted so it just the timing just worked out and so the doorbell rings she hangs up with the woman she's on the phone with and it's Harold DeWitt and he is an aide to the governor so she's informed by Harold that Wendell was found dead in his bed that he had heart problems the the maid came in and he was and found him dead uh, in his bed. He must have passed away in his sleep. So the audience, we know better. But anyway, so uh, Jessica's like, oh, yeah, this is a problem because the two most qualified candidates are currently running for Wendell's seat. He was retiring because his heart issues were becoming more prevalent and he wanted to retire. So he was not running again. And because the two most qualified uh, candidates were running, the governor didn't want to make a decision and uh, appoint one of them. He doesn't want to, you know, tip his, his hat and appoint somebody. Because basically at that point, he's now putting his full support and the power of his office behind this one person so voters who may be on the fence or may have considered the other candidate may then move their support to who the governor appointed so it makes sense either way that uh, whether it's the primaries that are coming up in six weeks or the actual election coming up in six weeks that the governor doesn't want to appoint somebody actively involved in campaigning for that position. So they, the governor says, uh, reach out to Jessica Fletcher. She is um, the perfect person to sit in that seat for six weeks. Now, she says, 
uh, well, I'm not a politician, which is perfect because they don't want somebody who's politically motivated because although it's six weeks before and I doubt that, well, actually, uh, they could. The person could then say, I want to be uh, a write-in and actually win over the two who have been campaigning this entire time if she's given the seat. So they don't want somebody who's politically motivated. She's nationally known, clearly. And um, she understands the importance of the need of representation of Maine in the government. Like, so she understands this, which is perfect. You're not politically motivated, but you understand the importance of having this representation. Um, And then the best part, she has unquestioned integrity, which is probably something that a lot of politicians can't say. So (laughs) Maine has really got a winner right here. There, they actually should have elected her. Um, just saying. So at this point, like, how can she say no? Right? She understands the importance of it. She is. She fits the bill. She is the perfect person. So she can't say no, right? Um. So of course she says yes. <laughs> and the next thing, the next scene, we're in, uh, Congressman, uh, Wendell's. Well, we're in Wendell's office in D.C. And his uh, assistant, Diana Sims, is on the phone and is like, oh, well, Jessica hasn't gotten here yet. Um, She'll be here. So then we go to the car. So Joe is driving Jessica. Um, He has on beautiful driving gloves. I don't know what the weather is, but, you know, very, very nice car. Um, He is her like press attache right so which we find out later like honestly throughout this entire uh episode I had no idea what his position was (laughs) I was like he works for her but what is his position I don't know how I missed it uh or if it was instead but he is basically her press secretary and um he says that you know I'll get your name in the paper or I'll keep it out which really should have been my clue that he was her press person. <laughs> I don't know how I missed that. Uh, so he's going through all of these things. And she said, first things first, I'm not your adulpated great aunt from East Nowhere. Immediately putting him in his place, being respectful, but letting him know, like, no. Okay, sir, don't treat me like somebody who doesn't know don't treat me like I'm a seat filler that I'm here to just twiddle my thumbs keeping the seat warm for whoever's elected that's not what this is about and I I just love how smoothly she did it and he immediately understood she was clear and concise he immediately understood and apologized (laughs) yes Jessica yes so the our next stop is Capitol Hill. Now this is the I believe she's in the Capitol building. Now in Washington D.C., there's the Capitol building where Congress and the Senate, uh, well the House of Representatives, the Congress contains Senate and House of Representatives, 
And it appears that she isn't a senator, but a congressperson, meaning she's in the House of Representatives. So, um, and that's the difference because a congressperson is in the House of Representatives. A senator is a senator. There are 100 senators, uh, two for every state. House of Representatives, there are, I believe, in excess of 400. I, I don't remember the exact number, but each state has a certain number of representatives based on their population. So I'm assuming since it's Congressman Wendell Joyner that she's taking over for, that it's the House of Representatives. Now, the Capitol building where they actually sit, um, some have offices in that building, but there's also a separate building where senators and congressmen and women have their offices. So it's unclear. It looks like her office is actually not in the Capitol building, but in the separate building where um, the senators and Congress persons have their offices. Either way, I've been to D.C. I've been to the Capitol building. It is beautiful. Like this does not do it justice. Now, I have not been to the building where the Congress... Uh, where the members of Congress have their the rest of their offices, the annex building. I have not been in there, but the actual Capitol building is beautiful, like honestly breathtaking. And uh, if you have never been, definitely go. They have done some structural repairs, but I think it's all done now. Just it's a sight to behold. It really is. And it really lets you know, as a visitor, and I can only imagine as a congressperson, the uh, the gravity of your responsibilities uh, for the whole of your state, and you know, for the United States as a whole. So, it's it's really beautiful, um, and definitely, if you haven't, please once this pandemic is over go and see it. Now, um, we as she's walking to her office, we see Dan Kepner. He is a representative for New York. He introduces himself and he said, we'll have to catch up, you know, because we're both on the cannery bill. She says, of course, I'm glad I met you, blah, blah, blah. So then we walk into um, Wendell Joyner's old office and now Jessica's new office. And She's still with Joe and we meet Diana and she inter- she is the assistant, basically her right hand person. And um, they, <laughs> she said, oh, I would invite you to the staff. I would introduce you to the staff, but it's lunchtime. Now, I'm just going to say this. Now, I do not know if they have a, um, if they're in a union where there is no movement of when their lunchtime is. But if you're telling me that my new boss or supervisor is coming in, I would be eating my lunch at my desk because I would want to meet them uh, and not just like kind of come in after lunch and, you know. But that's just me. That's just me that I would want to meet them as soon as they came in. But also, based on what Diana does Next, I would think also that 
if you believe that this person's coming in and they're getting a whole new staff, um, that you would at least want to meet them and make a pitch to stay. I, I don't know. I don't know. And I think we don't, the only other staff member we see, like I think there's parts where we see other people in the outer office, but we don't meet anybody else. We literally never meet anybody else on her staff <laughs> except Diana and Joe. So anyway, um, Joe is like, okay, so you guys, um, you're good. Okay, great. So I have to go to lunch. You know, I got a hot prospect, whatever, whatever. He is definitely a playboy. Point blank, period. Joe is a playboy. But you know what? Good for him. He doesn't have a wife and kids. Do you, Joe? Diana then goes into um, the office with Jessica to the main actual where she'll be sitting. And Jessica's like, oh, this is really nice. It is. It is a well-appointed office. It is very nice. Uh, Jessica's like, oh, this is very nice. It's huge. It's just, it's regal. You know, it's professional. Everything you would want in a congressperson's office if it was yours. So as Jessica's like putting her purse down and her jacket or whatever, Diana's like, oh, why have my resignation on your desk? And she's like, Jessica's like, why? It's like, well, you know, when a new person comes in, they usually have their own staff. Now, Diana is, has has clearly been in the DC circuit for a while, for a number of years. What I don't understand is why she would think Jessica, who's only going to be there for six weeks, would have a staff. Uh, I can understand if the governor had appointed one of the people who was running, that they would come in with a staff because they would assume that they would win the election and then continue to be there. But it doesn't make any sense that someone coming in for six weeks would... But would fire that staff and replace them with their own. Like by the time you did the actual full transition, it would your six weeks would be up. Like, I don't, I I don't know why. Like I understand how that's how it works, but I don't know why she would have thought that someone being there for six weeks would do that. Uh, yeah, that didn't make sense. So Jessica was like, "Don't you like working here?" She's like, "No, I love it." You know. Uh, so she's like, well, um, Wendell's staff would be perfectly fine for me. Uh, she didn't say this, like, cause I'm only going to be here for six weeks. Like, I don't listen, <laughs> I'm not even labeling my stuff in the drawer. Okay. I'm not bringing in uh cereal or soup or snacks here. <laughs> I'm not staying that long, okay? I'm not getting in here and getting comfortable. I'm not putting three or four extra pairs of shoes in my desk. Uh, (laughs) I know. It's fine. So uh, after they settle that and she throws out the um, resignation letter without reading it, of course, um, Harry Parmel comes in and he's an attorney and a lobbyist. And... um, He's like, oh, you know, I'd love to take you out to lunch and da da da. He comes bearing roses. And she's like, oh, that would be very nice. And Diana is standing behind him and over his right shoulder. So he can't see her, but uh, 
Jessica can see her. And she's shaking her head just slightly enough that Jessica gets it. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just getting started. This is my first day. Um, but, you know, I'll have to take a rain check. He's like, okay, you know, basically at your convenience and, and he leaves. Now, um, the fact that Diana knew to position herself where she did, she's clearly, well, one, used to, knows how to play the game. But two, is an asset. Like, you literally met this woman five minutes ago. And you're already like, I'm an ally. I'm going to help you. Yeah, granted, she said you can keep your job, (laughs) which is helpful. But she went right into it. And clearly, she is an asset. And anyone who would have terminated her... uh, to bring in their new team, even if she trained them, that's a skill over time. That is a skill that she developed over time. And she's definitely an asset to Jessica. So now we're at the hotel and Jessica is checking in with Joe. He is her chauffeur, I guess. So we also learn, because he says, oh, okay, you're all set. Well, I have, uh, I have an appointment or I don't know if he said lunch or dinner this one. It was probably dinner. I think it's the same day with a woman from uh, one of the other government agencies. And it's like, oh, she has big ears. And, you know, the last time she gave me a tip uh, from something that she heard, I almost cornered the sports car market. And Jessica's like, yeah, that doesn't sound too legal to me. He's like, yeah, mm, no, it's fine. So clearly, He is dishonest and he knows how to use his playboy ways and looks and and stuff like that to get to play the DC game. You know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine type situation. So he knows how to play that game and he's also willing to be dishonest. So we got to keep an eye on Joe. So then the next scene, and we see a suspicious man who's who's listening to what's going on uh, from a little ways away within the hotel. The next scene, we're at a bar and Kepner was outside looking around. He then goes inside and uses the pay phone to call Jessica. She picks up the phone and Jessica has on a full face of makeup, a full face of makeup in her pajamas in bed. Okay, really, Jessica? Really? Anyway, so she's like, well, I'm in, I'm really tired, you know. It's been a long day. I'm in bed. So he's like, well, I really need to talk to you. How about we have breakfast at your hotel? So um, she's like, okay. Now, I like, all I have to say is this. Now, if he's calling you this late at night, I'm assuming it's late. It's at least dark out. The bars are open. So it's late enough that you're in bed, that it has to be important. Now, I, I like, I'm not getting out of bed, but I would be like, okay, come to my hotel. Like, how far are you away? If you can get here in the next 10 minutes, then we can sit in the lobby or you can come to my room. And we sit in the living room portion and talk because obviously, you know, this is very important if you're, you found my number and you're calling me this late at night, but 
I know the story has to go forward and things have to be set up, but I would think that if someone was calling that late, that she would realize it's important and that, like, I'm not going out, out, but you can come here. Because we know from previous episodes, she has no problem being in her, you know, full button down shirt, pants, pajamas with her robe on uh, talking to people. So <laughs> talking to men. So it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm not decent. So um, they hang up with the promise of a meeting for breakfast at Jessica's hotel. As Kepner is coming out of the bar... Now, we see the name of the bar, so we already know whether we, if we were paying attention. Like, later on, it becomes important. So he comes out, and Marta Craig is there. Now, um, one, how the heck did she find him, right? <laughs> how did she find him? But two, because he, you know, we find out later that he really was just roaming around the streets and just ducked into that bar um, to call Jessica. So it wasn't like he, uh, it was at his office or that he went directly there, nothing. So he just happens to walk out of that bar. She's right there getting out of a, a car. I couldn't tell, I don't remember if it was a taxi or not, but she was getting out of a car. And like, hey, um, Mr. Kepner. And he's like, yeah, not tonight, honey. <laughs> He thought she was a prostitute. <laughs> I was like, mm, high end though. So, well, not too far from the truth. But anyway, he, she's like, no, it's Marta. Now, ma'am, you have a bit heavier makeup. Like the makeup wasn't crazy different, but your hair was down. And he was already like, t- his vision was blurred most of the time that he was in that hotel room. Uh, not the hotel, in that apartment with Ray and Harry. So he don't remember you. He he couldn't put, pick you out of a lineup the day after that meeting uh, where Wendell died. So she's like, um, you know, he's sober now, but he, he was too drunk to have recognized her then. Uh, but... She's like, I'm really scared, you know, about what happened, you know, moving the body. Because he was like, I don't know what you're talking about, ma'am. Uh, where's my car? <laughs> he's like, I don't know. This seemed like a setup setup. I don't want the cops to see me talking to this lady because they're going to get the wrong idea. Um, so she's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm really scared. And, you know, and, I, and she shows him a picture. Now, you know that she is a professional blackmailer. Well, for one, that she already had that hidden camera slash um, lighter, cigarette cigarette lighter. Like, we already knew that um, she was either working with someone who's a blackmailer or now we know that she actually is a blackmailer. So, um... She, but she comes along like, she, but she's the one who took the picture. But she, she's trying to come off as like she's scared. She doesn't know, like maybe someone contacted her about it, and that's why she's scared. Um, but she throws Kepner off 
by coming up and being like, oh, I'm really scared. Like, you guys moved the body and, you know, uh, and, and this picture. Because if he, if he hadn't been distracted by her, well, one, thinking she was a prostitute and trying to get the heck out of there. Or, and then two, um, finding out that she was there when that happened and there was a cover-up. That he's not thinking and looking at the picture like, oh, you're the one who took the picture. You know, like, you're you're not scared. You're trying, you're blackmailing me. Like, you're setting me up. Uh, you're the blackmailer. Not a victim of circumstances. So anyway, it, he obviously goes with her. And we'll get proof of that a bit later. But now we're back at the hotel. And Jessica comes back downstairs. And the suspicious guy is still there on the sofa. He's like clearly either law enforcement or a really bad PI because he's not, not really hiding. He, he doesn't necessarily look suspicious, but because the camera focused on him and he was listening in to Jessica and Joe, we know already that he's suspicious. And then now, and then now he follows Jessica and so she's the queen of the double back. Now, she even did the double back with uh, the KGB agent in um, Death Takes a Curtain Call. And I'm like, he was secret police. <laughs> and she dipped to the side, came back around and was behind him um, and catching him in the act. So she is well versed in this. So... <laughs> We find out that this is Detective Lieutenant Avery Mendelson, and he's he knows of Jessica. I believe he has read all of her books as well, and he's looking for her help to solve Wendell Joyner's murder. He believe he knows, as per the um, what the coroner said, and his investigation, that Wendell definitely did not die in bed. Wherever he died, he then was moved to the bedroom. Now, they don't know yet. The coroner hasn't said yet that he died of a heart attack, which we find out he did. So he was not murdered. Okay. So, but um, he tells Jessica, well, maybe he wasn't murdered, but his body was moved. So there's something going on here that's not right. So she's like, okay, but what got me? Now, he's a good character. Okay, he's a good character. But what I cannot understand is how this man in this hotel has taken off his shoe and is rubbing his foot while he's interviewing somebody. Now, granted, Jessica is not a suspect. But the fact that he is just in there. And then um, I think he also... um, this is, it's like, it's very unprofessional. Like, I, I understand that your feet hurt, but I think it's, okay, also, I'm a lady. So I am used to being in situations <laughs> where my feet hurt because of the shoes that I chose for fashion over function. So I don't do that as, as much anymore. But I have never <laughs> just been in a social setting taken off my shoe and started rubbing my feet you deal with it that's what you do you suck it up and you deal with it 
Um, because this is incredibly unprofessional. Anyway, so, um, we, and then to make it even worse, he then like belches, okay? (laughs) And does not even excuse himself. Like, I can understand it happens and, you know, he, he couldn't control it, whatever, but then you're like, oh my gosh, excuse me. Like, he didn't even say that. He was like, oh, my stomach is acting up. That, you know, that that signals that not only are my feet, but like my my stomach, that means something really, the trouble's afoot. And so <laughs> Jessica's nicer than me. I would have been like, uh, excuse you? <laughs> Just, you could, you could have at least said, excuse me. I am actually a little bit disgusted by this entire situation um and he also goes into like all of his ailments and Jessica is just being very polite and I think it's because she has this disposition to her that people feel comfortable telling her their life story and we'll see it throughout the series where people just feel real comfortable uh telling her uh who shot John and ran like who who did it like, <laughs> who did it, how it was done, uh, and confessing their, you know, their crimes to her. So I think she just has that disposition. But honestly, I'm like, detective, detective, detective lieutenant, this is too much. Like, you're asking for her help. I do not need to know all of your ailments, sir. Like, <laughs> like I said, about the hurting feet. Suck it up and shut up and do your job. <laughs> so the next scene, we're on the street and it's a close-up of Kepner's face and it's definitely dirty. The camera angle widens and we see that he's in an alley on the ground and there's a man who puts down his, uh, I'm sure it was liquor, in a brown paper bag and clearly had like cut up fingerless gloves like clearly homeless and he's like patting him down and Kepner wakes up comes to not even wakes up like comes to he was knocked out and uh he's like oh get off me get off me get off me and the guy runs off and he his wallet is not on him so he runs after the guy like runs into the middle of the street a car skids to a stop and another in the next lane, the car stops and it's two police officers and they're like, hey, that's the guy they're looking for. So they take him into custody. So the next scene, um, we're at the police precinct and um, the detective um, of Mendelssohn puts his jacket and his um, wallet on the table. He was like, we found these in Marta Craig's apartment. And why did you have, do you recognize this key? He's like, no. It's like, well, it's to Marta's apartment and we found it in your blazer jacket. And he's like, uh, I don't know how it got there. Obviously someone had to put it there. That wasn't me. It was found in her apartment. Like anybody could have put that in there. So, um, you know, they had found Marta murdered in her apartment. 
and she had been beaten to death, which we're just going to discuss in just a minute. And we saw his hands and I don't remember seeing cuts. You couldn't tell if there were bruises because his hands were dirty. Plus, I guess from her makeup, but her makeup shouldn't have been dark. How long was he in that alley that his whole face is dirty, that his hands are covered in dirt? Um, and it wasn't even dried blood. So like the dark color wasn't even dried blood because that's not the color of dried blood. It was black. How did they find Marta in her apartment? Like they never tell us what led them to Marta's apartment to find Kepner's suit jacket wallet and find her most importantly find her dead like we don't hear about um a tip we don't hear about because this is the next day so like we don't hear that um because she was a secretary we don't know whose secretary she was so we don't hear that oh um they did a welfare check and found her uh they got an anonymous call that they heard that a neighbor heard some stuff and to go do a check um that her door was open and the maid found her. Like, we have no idea how the very next morning they found Marta in her apartment beaten to death. They left an important part out. But in addition to that, this has to be the most upsetting death now, we don't see her at all because it's impossible that this woman who got beaten to death is shown at all, like at, at all. This woman, and I'll tell you that the the murderer is a man, which could be anybody at this point. We'll find out who later, but was beaten to death by a man. And the fact that for all these years that I've been watching this and seeing this episode and loving this episode, that... It, it really didn't set in how disturbing that actually is. So, yeah. That's a bit much, Murder, She Wrote writers. A bit much. So, the next scene, we're back in now Jessica's office with her and Diana. And she's talking about um, the cannery bill. Diana's telling her about the cannery bill and how that decision is coming up. And that was... You know, and we know that that's one of the decisions that were important to Maine uh, and why they needed someone to fill um, Wendell's spot for those six weeks. And because they wanted to build a new cannery at McHenry's Point, which is a few miles from Cabot Cove, we learn. And Jessica said, well, yes, I've read up on it. It's very, she didn't say confusing. She was like, it's very complicated um but you know I'm gonna process it and I want to make up my own mind because Diana's like well Wendell was going to um was not going to support that bill and she's like I may do the same but you know I want to make up my own mind which I appreciate yes Maine got a good one in Jessica okay just saying so um Diana said, uh, no. So then Jessica was like, uh, I spoke with Lieutenant Mendelssohn and he said that, you know, the, the police don't believe that Wendell died in his bed, that he was moved there after he died. And 
so where was he supposed to be that night? And Diana was like, well, he doesn't, he didn't really care for DC parties or that scene. So he, he really didn't go out. Um, there, she checked his schedule. She was like, there was like, I thought there was nothing on his schedule, but then she's like, wait, you know, Harry Parmel had invited him to a party, but Wendell had turned him down. Well, clearly, uh, I think when Wendell found out that uh, Kepner was there, that he then went. That, you know, he probably said, no, I'm not going to go. Found out that Kepner was there and that he is, Kepner was very, very vulnerable. And we're about to find out in a little bit why. Uh, that he went there to go and rescue Kepner. Because just like if you're out with friends and, you know, one of your friends get real drunk and they, they talking about they leaving with somebody and you swoop right in, like, I didn't even want to be here. <laughs> you swoop right in, like, no, we going home. <laughs> no, 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 we came together, we leaving together, you ain't going with this person. So he had to go swoop in to get their drunk friend home safe, okay? That's what he was there to do. And I think that he did save him, you know, even though unfortunately he lost his life. Uh, that really sobered Kepner up real quick, like real quick. And I'm sure that after they moved that body, he went home and really thought over his life about, you know, what he did and what he was doing. Our, the next scene, we're in the hall and we meet Thor Danzinger. This is like a name in a romance novel, period. That's what it is. Anyway, so he's from the Ecological Foundation. And he's asking for time to speak with Jessica. And Diana's like, you've made your position known. Thank you. <laughs> and just like pulls her along. It's like, um, I was like, all right. You know what? She was respectful yet firm. So, all right, girl. That's how... You protect your boss. And just as a side note, both Jessica's throughout this whole thing, uh, her suits, love it. And Diana, her suits, love it. Wardrobe was on point in this episode. For all of them, like the guy's suits, Wendell's three-piece, perfection. But every, even Lieutenant Mendelssohn, like just a really nice, suit even though he was complaining about here there and everywhere <laughs> his suits were actually very well done as well whoever the costume designer was like I hope they won an award like the amazing amazing everybody was dressed extremely well in this episode so then we go to they're heading off to a committee meeting and Ray Dixon, who's the um, vice president of Pendrake Foods, uh, who is the company that wants to build the cannery, he is testifying. So he is reading off, he's reading his speech and Jessica's like whispering to Diana, like, why is he reading off that piece of paper? She was like, he's testifying. She's like, yeah, no, I got that. But why is he reading? If it's already written, why are we here? And she's like, yeah, so that's that's just kind of how it works. She was like, 
that don't make no sense. Agreed, Jessica. Agreed. Like, we can all read. Why are we here? Like, I could be doing 50 other things and have read his testimony at my convenience. So, I was like, good point, Jessica. Good point. So, the next scene, we're back in Jessica's office. And I'm calling it Jessica's office because including the area where... um the secretaries and support staff sit, as well as the main office where just Jessica sits, the entire area I'm calling her office. And so she's there with Joe and he's just super excited. He's like, hey, Shepard, she's the gossip maven of DC. She wants to talk to you. And I don't know if he said gossip maven or if I wrote that down just to summarize who she is, but gossip maven of DC. And a meeting with her it really is just like, you know, the end all be all. And she's like, Jessica's like, I'm not impressed. How about you go to lunch with her, press secretary? Okay, I'm not going. Goodbye. So, because <laughs> you know, she just, she has no time for the BS. She really doesn't. She's taking her position seriously and has no time because she's not a politician. She has no time for the politics. She is trying to get the job done to the best of her abilities for the best for her constituents in Maine. So like definitely applause to her for being like, forget all this. I'm only here for six weeks. I got to do what I need to do. Whoever comes next, they can play these DC games, this political game, whatever. I don't care. I came here with a mission to do what was needed for Maine for the best of my fellow Mainers, Mainians. I don't know uh, what people from Maine are called, you know, but <laughs> my fellow Maine uh, residents. So much respect to her for not falling into this, into these games. So she then goes into, she leaves Joe to his own devices and she walks into where her desk is, that part of the office. And Lieutenant Mendelssohn is just sitting there waiting. <laughs> She's like, oh, hey, how you doing? Now, nobody is there to tell her, hey, there's someone waiting in your office. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no one gave her a heads up. She just literally opens the door and there's someone sitting in her office and she's like, oh, he's like, oh, I was told I could wait in here. She's like, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. It is. But like someone's supposed to give her a heads up, like someone leave a note on the door, you know, something. That Now, she, she should have got rid of that staff after that. I'm, I'm just saying. You don't give me a heads up that you told someone to go sit in my office? Like, no. You need to be fired. <laughs> now, you know it wasn't Diana, because Diana would have told her, but. Mendelssohn's like, well, why didn't you tell me that you had a breakfast meeting with Kepner? And she's like, well, actually, I forgot because I overslept and Kepner didn't show up. He's like, well, it's because he was in county lockup for the murder of Marta Craig. And so she's like, oh, that's awful. And Mendelssohn's like, well, you know, I have my issue is I have all of the evidence that I, I have enough evidence to arrest him for the murder. He's currently just detained. Um, 
to arrest him for the murder. But um, she was like, but your feet hurt? He was like, yeah, which lets me know that something's not kosher. And he was like, I'm also having stomach. I also have issues with my stomach. I think he said, when my stomach starts to growl, I was like, that means you're hungry. So there's trouble and the situation is not kosher. So the next scene we're at, back at the police department, um, Kepner admits that he helped move Wendell's body, that Wendell had had a heart attack and passed out. And um, they, he wanted to call the ambulance. He was told no and that he did help move the body. He then says that he was coming out of a bar the, uh, the night before and that Marta had approached him and she had a photo of Ray, Harry, and him over the body. And so he was really scared by this and agreed that um, he would go and go to her apartment to see what this was all about. Now, um, we also find out that he had scrapes and bruises on his hands include and blood and makeup on his shirt. Now, the next scene, we're at the morgue with Jessica and Lieutenant Mendelssohn. And we find out, and she, they pull the sheet back and it's facing the audience. So we don't actually see her, thank the Lord. Um, Jessica sees her and just has an instant like reaction. Like she was clearly immediately disturbed by seeing this woman who had been, again, beaten to death uh, on the, the table. So Mendelssohn was like, I told you it wasn't pretty. You know, she's like, no, I, I understand. I was like, that, that would mess somebody up forever. Just, you know, she's found several dead bodies already, but this is, this has to be the most horrific. Like it definitely has to be the most horrific. So Mendelssohn says that he still he still has his issues with arresting Kepner. He said there was blood splatter on his shirt, to which Jessica was like, there wasn't a lot. And if he did that to her, there would be much more blood splatter on his shirt. Um, or his jacket, or his shirt and his jacket. So it wasn't even like he had, um, like there was blood on the ja- suit jacket saying that he was wearing the suit jacket when he actually did it. So there was not nearly enough blood for what had happened um, if he had done what he's accused of doing. She also notes, Jessica also notes that there's no makeup on his hands, which would be impossible if he had uh, actually beaten her. So earlier, it said that uh, Mendelssohn had said of Kepner that his hands were covered in blood and makeup and cuts and bruises, right? But we find out that in fact, his hands did not have makeup on them. They were just dirty. So, because I was like, his hands are black. Like, 
that's dirt. That's not makeup. Uh, although there were scrapes and bruises on his hand, which could have happened when he was being dragged out into the alley. Um, but there was no makeup. So Mendelssohn's like, well, you know, um, what about the blood and makeup on his shirt? Right. And so Jessica was like, well, okay, take off your, your jacket. Now she gets behind him and she's like, now let's say I'm the killer and I have blood and makeup on my hands because I just beat her up. You're passed out. And she puts her arms around, like under his arms, around his chest, and like push pulls him back a bit. And he's like, oh, that's why the blood and makeup were where they were. They were concentrated in one area where the killer's hands would have been if he or she uh, had dragged Kepner's uh, passed out body out of the apartment and into the alley. So now that confirms even more so uh, Lieutenant Mendelssohn's feeling that um, Kepner did not do this and even more confirmation that this was a setup. Now, the next scene, we're back in the office and Diana is giving us some tea about Kepner. She says that he is an alcoholic. Actually, Joe is there too. Joe was there too. And Diana's like, well, Kepner is an alcoholic, but he had been clean for the past six years until a couple of months ago. His wife up and left him and took their kids back to New York. And he started drinking again. So Wendell was trying to get him back on track, but it seems like Wendell took a um, a mentorship or father figure type um, position with regard to Kepner. Jessica says, um, no, Diana says, well, you know, I don't believe Kepner did this. I really don't. He doesn't seem like the type of person who would have done this. And Jessica says, good, because he didn't do this. He's being framed and clumsily so. I was like, oh, you out here burning people, Jess? Okay. Burn them. So, <laughs> seeing she then sends Joe off with the assignment to find out about Marta Craig, to which he's like, Well, I don't know how I'm supposed to do that. She's like, You're smart and resourceful, or at least that's what you told me. Like, did you lie? Did you lie? So, he's like, Oh, yeah, you know what? I, I can do it. I can do it. He he perks up and, and leaves, saying that he, he's on the job. The next scene, we're at a bar. And Ray is sitting there drinking and Harry Parmel comes in. And it in this brief conversation, um, they each clearly suspect the other of Marta's murder because they were obviously both working with her. So um and Harry's like, listen, I like if we doing some scamming, some fraud, I'm down with it, but not murder. I have standards. <laughs> He's like, I am about to get involved with no murder. Now I will defraud people uh, without blinking an eye. Not a problem. So, you know, I'll sell faulty things. It's fine. Sign this contract. 
So clearly, and Ray's like, I didn't kill her. He's like, mm, listen, I don't care if you did or if you didn't, but it's, I'm not involved in this. I will, if I get questioned, I am going to tell the truth. I'm not going down with you for this. So clearly Harry is only loyal to Harry. Now the next scene, we're at Diana's apartment and I guess she went there over lunch. I, I'm assuming she lives close. And we do see her address in a little bit, but I didn't take note of where it was or how far it would be from the Capitol building. But then randomly coming out of her bedroom is Thor. She's like, oh, Thor, I didn't, you know, I didn't know you were here. So clearly they're in a relationship and he clearly has a key to her apartment. So um, what we also find out when, um, yeah, okay. So he clearly has a key to her apartment. They're together and he's like, you know, I got these in a note in the mail and it's photos of him clearly passed out, like clearly passed out with Marta. Uh, Diana was like, well, you told me these pictures were fake. And he's like, they are like, but, um, and I think, and that the pictures were destroyed. I forget how she said it, but like, you told me it was fake and like the pictures were destroyed. And he was like, yeah, but these were duplicates. Clearly these are duplicates. And it came with a, a note that's said to stay away from Jessica Fletcher. So the next scene, we're in Marta Craig's apartment at, with Jessica and Lieutenant Mendelssohn. And Jessica's like, this is a very fancy apartment for a secretary. And he's like, well, you know, maybe she um, did overtime or something like that. Now, there is not a, unless she came from family money, that is the only way that in 1984, this single woman could afford, as a secretary, not as a congressperson, not as a banker, not as a, you know, a lawyer, like not a high-powered attorney, not a doctor, none of that. So unless her family was really, really wealthy, there's no way she would have been able to afford that apartment without doing serious crime. Like not just penny any crime. I mean like legit embezzlement, hundreds of thousands of dollars crime. That apartment is huge and it sounds like it's in DC proper. So even in 1984, the price that she was paying for that apartment had to be astronomical, right? So again, either family money or she was doing amazingly well as a blackmailer or both. We find out from Mendelssohn that a background check shows that she had two prior charges of extortion and blackmail. Now, clearly she was a professional because she had that lighter slash camera Jessica is looking around and she sees a photo. And so it is a cheerleading photo from, you know, the one, the type that you take for the, um, for your yearbook, you know, you're all in uniform and you're posed and everything like that. And you clearly see Diana, right? And I'm sure that Marta was in there, but 
the camera kind of focuses in on Diana. So now we know that actually Diana did know Marta, at least in high school. So the next scene, we're at a restaurant and we meet Kay Shepard. Jessica has obviously agreed to meet with her and have lunch. We also meet Peanuts the cat. Kay is clearly like a super, 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 super important person, like above VIP because they, one, allow her to bring her cat into the restaurant. We learn from Kay that everything is about clout. She says, when you have it, use it. So, um, and that's what she's doing. That's exactly what Kay is doing. So she says that she has information uh, regarding the murder of Marta Craig. And she's like, well, I, you know, you have to trade here. You know, it's about give and take in this place, you know. So um, if you give me an exclusive when you solve this, I'll give you the information. And so she's like, well, why are you giving me the information? Why don't you take it to the police yourself. And she's like, listen, I have to live here. I have to deal with these people. If I want to continue to do well and get the stories and the information that I get, I can't go to the police. (laughs) Are you serious? I can't. No, no, that's not how this works. So Jessica agrees. And she, Kay tells us that three nights ago, Marta was at the Watergate. Yes, that Watergate hotel. Um, So (laughs) she was there and uh, she was clearly upset. Then Ray Dixon ran out, grabbed her arm, and they were arguing. So Jessica's like, what were they arguing about? And Kay was like, I wish I knew. I was a a block and a half away. (laughs) I'm like, how'd you see all this? But she must have been straight down the street. When someone says a block and a half, I don't know why when she said that, I thought she was like around the corner. (laughs) I was like, well, how'd you see anything? But no, she's probably like straight up the street. So she couldn't hear them. She could just see it. So now we have this additional information. Like, I don't think Ray did it, but like there's now evidence towards Ray having... um, recently had a a major argument with uh, Marta. Because if y'all arguing in the street, and he done grabbed your arm in the street, that's a serious argument. Like, people should be concerned. So, yeah, that can translate to him beating her to death. So, yeah, Ray is a good suspect based on this. Um, But we have no... Well, she could have been blackmailing him too, but we don't have anything to lead us to believe that um, that Ray would have wanted to murder her. So, okay. So next scene, we're back in Jessica's office with Jessica and Joe. And she's asking for a follow-up on Marta. And Joe's like, well, I didn't get a lot. She was in the party circuit. She's had six six jobs. Um, for, I forget how many years he said. I, I wish I had gotten that. And she's like, that's not really a lot of information. So she's like, um, yeah, that's not really helpful. Well, like the party circuit thing is a lead, but 
Honestly, it really wasn't a lot. So, and also that she had six jobs in a short amount of time, meaning that she wasn't, her jobs were not paying that mortgage or rent. Okay, so clearly that's not where uh, this secretary was getting her actual income from. So um, Jessica's like, where's Diana? And Joe says, oh, she called out sick after lunch. Um, she didn't say what it was. She just said she was sick. It's like, she was like, oh, okay. And we find out that, no, and then Kepner calls. No, he comes in. He comes in to her office. And he's like, I want you to be the first person to know. I'm resigning, you know. And uh, Jessica is like, why would you do that? He's like, I've been struggling with, um, you know, basically my family, my constituents, and then, um, you know, also the alcoholism. So he's like, Jessica's like, well, you know, basically how's that going, right? He's like, I haven't had a single drink since um, the night Wendell died. And I've been going to two or three meetings a day to alcohol, Alcoholic Anonymous. And Jessica's like, listen, you know, you made some mistakes and that's understandable, but don't like resign and give up. And he's like, I, I want to go back home and make it right with my family. And she's like, Have you need to take some time, like don't submit the resignation go home and talk to your, your wife, like, and, and work it out because like women in love will do, you know, um, may surprise you. A woman in love may surprise you or however she put it. But like, I completely agree in the sense that he needs to talk to his wife. Like you're making a life changing decision without talking to her. You know, you're talking about resigning and then going back to work your family out. One, it doesn't sound like you ever had a conversation with her about why she left. Um, Two, you're sitting here struggling with staying sober. Have you had a conversation with her about your struggle? Like this is, you're married and you have children. Like it's not something that you have to have on your shoulders the entire time like it's probably a lack of communication which made your wife leave like if you were going through this struggle and it was getting harder and harder and not relying on her to talk things through and to figure out what the family actually needed from you and not what you thought the family needed from you that she's probably like he's not telling me what's going on I I can't deal with this you know and she may have opened doors and been like, you know, what's going on? And you kept it bottled up because you thought that you had to carry this burden yourself when she's like, no, I can help you. And you didn't take her help. So she left with the kids for her own, you know, sanity and safety. But Jessica's absolutely right. Like you have to sit down and talk to her. Like, why did you left leave? And how can we you know, work through this. So he, he's now encouraged and like he sees the light and he's like super thankful. He hugs her and she's like, oh, we, okay. I didn't, 
need all that. I was just telling you what common sense would tell you. <laughs> Next, we, um, after Kefner leaves, uh, Jessica sits down to her Rolodex. Yes, it is 1984. Yes, she has a Rolodex. Now, like I said before, I'm saying 1984 because this aired in January of 1985. So uh, I'm going to, on January 6th, so I'm going to guess that they taped this in 1984. So she finds Diana's address and she goes over there. Okay. Jessica knows the deal. She was like, girl, you weren't sick this morning. Now you calling out sick after lunch. What happened at lunch? Right. <laughs> It's like, can I just come in? Thank you. Hello. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Excuse me. And really kind of just like pushes her way in. <laughs> so she's like, yeah, I have some questions about the cannery bill. I'm sorry that you're not feeling well, but uh, maybe we can ask that nice gentleman, uh, Mr. Danzinger. And she was like, oh, I'm sure that he, yeah, I'm sure he'd be more than willing to help. She was like, oh, why don't we call him? She's like, oh, yeah. How about you just ask him to step out of the bedroom? So of course, Thor comes out of the bedroom and he's like, hey, uh, let me go ahead and tuck this shirt in and button my shirt the rest of the way up. So so we find out that Jessica went to the Library of Congress. She asked Mendelssohn to drop her off there after they uh, were at Marta Craig's apartment. And she found a yearbook because the photo that we saw had Marta and Diana in it, both on the cheerleading team. And the lion that was on their outfits, their cheerleading outfits, was the same as the tie pin that Thor had when he stopped Jessica in the hallway. Now, the camera did zoom in on the tie, on the tie pin and the folder that said ecological... Um, foundation. So, you know, not completely obvious, but now it made sense, right? Because it could have been either one of those items that was a clue or important. The folder, the name of the organization, or the tie pin. So they admit that yes, Thor, Diana, and Marta all went to school together. And now we don't know where the school is, right? We don't, we don't know where they all went to school, but they all ended up in DC. Okay. And they were, um, they all were still friendly. And then she kind of got in with the wrong crowd and she was working the party circuit and got involved with Harry Parmel and Ray Dixon and guys like that, uh, where you're kind of like a party favor. Like you're a beautiful woman just in the background and, you know, you can seduce guys to get information uh, or to blackmail them so that um, the interest of, uh, so to the interest of other people who may have hired you. So it's like, oh, I know her from the party circuit. Oh, she's beautiful and she's flirty. Let me call her up to see if I can get information about congressperson, whoever, whoever, because I need their um them to sign off on this bill. So, um, yeah, so she was working the party circuit and that's how she got involved with Harry, the lobbyist, and Ray Dixon uh, with Pendrake Foods. So they also show Jessica the 
faked photos and um she you know they explain like we got these with a threatening note we have previously got these there you can clearly see I'm passed out um I had one drink and I have no memory after that now earlier we heard from Kepner who said he went over to Marta's apartment and had a ginger rail and doesn't remember anything after that drink so very similar to this she obviously slipped them mickeys and they passed out uh, with no memory so maybe it was a date rape drug honestly um maybe it was some ghb back then um because for them to have no memory okay like that is concerning like how many people did she do this to so we know at least these two and at least two others who reported it uh, that they were blackmailed um why isn't she in jail yeah you know what I mean? Like, why isn't she in jail? <laughs> anyway, so um, Jessica's like, you have to tell the police. So um, we find out that, uh, so he, they go to speak with Mendelssohn. And that's when they show him the fake photos. Like, they were fake. They had the one drink. I have no memory. Um you know, we were friends, but she was working the party circuit, so we, we really weren't in contact anymore. Um, we also learned that Thor and Diana had to keep their relationship under wraps because it could be considered a conflict of interest because she was the assistant to a congressperson, and at that time, um, who had a bill in consideration um, that um, affected the ecological... Uh, foundation like that the ecological foundation had a stake in so you know as the congressperson's assistant you have their ear you do some of their research etc etc you can um, guide them in the direction that is favorable to your partner so they had to keep their relationship under wraps so Mendelssohn's like okay thank you for the information you can go and him and Jessica are talking and so Mendelssohn's like, it had to be, um, it must have been the man that Marta Craig was working for who beat her to death. So which Jessica was like, oh, it could have been a woman. <laughs> I was like, yeah, all right, Jessica, equality. So the next scene, we're back in Joe's car and he's taking Jessica, I think he's wherever he's taking her. And he now has more information about Marta Craig. And he has it written on a notepad, which he is driving his car and looking at it and like basically dodging cars. He's nearly crashing into people. It's it's terrible. I know she's like, oh my God. And you weren't required to wear a seatbelt, but I think what would have been perfect, it, well, did that car even have seatbelts? You know what? I didn't even notice. Like, I did not even notice. But if it did, I would surely have, as soon as he had to dodge one car and like over recorrect, I would to have written in, Jessica then reaches up to get the seatbelt and clicks it closed. Like, I'm not about to die in this sports car. But again, I don't remember if it actually had seatbelts. Anyway, so we find out that on the night of the incident, 
not the incident, on the night Marta was murdered, that, no, yeah, yeah, the night Marta was murdered, she picked up Kepner outside Stockman's Bar at 9.30. Now, the audience, we know he was in front of Stockman's Bar because we saw the sign. We saw, when he walked in, they did a, they held for a few seconds on the sign that said Stockman's Bar. So the audience knows, but earlier, Kepner was like, I don't know where I was. <laughs> I just ducked into a bar. I don't know the name of it. I don't know where I was. Like, I really was just like roaming around the, these D.C. streets at night. The next scene, we're back on Capitol Hill in the hall to the committee chambers. And Ray comes up to Jessica and he was asking about something. Uh, maybe the cannery bill, something. I forget what it was. But she was like, oh, I thought you were going to um, ask about Marta Craig and her unfortunate murder. And he's like, why would I do that? I hardly knew her. To which Jessica says, got to quote it. I had, had to rewind so I could quote it correctly. She said, amazing. You didn't choke and hardly blinked an eyelash. Lying is a difficult art but you've mastered it beautifully. Like, basically, you need to know how to play the game, and if you don't, you're the one who gets hurt. So she's like, "Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm, watch me work. So the next scene, we're in the committee meeting, and Kefner is filibustering, waiting for Jessica. So basically, he is just rambling on and on and on, which Congress people can do, and we'll see why in a minute. So he's talking about, I'm sure it was important, but it sounded like nonsense. So then we are in Jessica's office and she had earlier run out. And then she comes back in and, well, as she's running out, before we go to the committee meeting, she gets to her door. She has an epiphany and she tells Diana, don't let them take the vote without me. And she's like, but you, it, it's in two hours. And I'm like, DC traffic, it, actually it is terrible. So I'm like, she's like, anywhere you need to go that's not in this building is going to take you more than two hours and you're going to be late. Like, what do you want me to do? So Diana must have called Kepner and told him like, listen, don't let them take the vote until Jessica gets back. When Jessica comes back into the office, Diana is not there, but Joe is. And she tells Joe that Kate Shepard um, told her that Marta Craig's ex-boyfriend was hanging around her building, saw Marta bring Kepner home, then saw a second man enter. And she says it had to be Ray Dixon. But the ex didn't get a good look at this person. But like side note, Marta Craig lives in an apartment. Where was this boy ex-boyfriend supposedly standing when he saw a second man enter Marta Craig's apartment? Like was he actually in the building like hanging out at the in the stairway looking around the corner to see this uh, the second man come in because clearly if Marta was with Kepner, right? they were going into, most likely they were going into her apartment. So that is not too much of a leap. Okay. Especially now that he is being um, considered her murderer. So it makes sense if, 
if this ex-boyfriend existed, this is, this is, spoiler, this is a setup. So if ex-boyfriend saw them walking in together and then the next day hears the report that Kepner is alleged to have murdered her, then yes, two and two equals four. But this second man walking into an apartment building, how is he to know that that person's going up to Marta's apartment? Come on now. He couldn't have been standing outside and you telling me that he saw the second person. He knew that he was going into Marta's apartment. That don't make no sense. But anyway, Jessica's like, Marta Craig was probably blackmailing Ray too. Ray probably took the pictures that Marta Craig had from the night Wendell died. So the ones where the three of them were over Wendell's body. So she says, you me and Kay Shepard are going to meet after the vote to go to Ray's apartment. I have to go vote. So now, and of course, then she runs out of the office again. So the next scene, we're in the committee meeting. She comes in, she she hustles over, and the congressman who is, um, uh, I guess the committee chair, yeah, committee chair, is like, all right, um are you done? Like, are you finished or are you done? So, <laughs> Mr. Kepner, and he's like, I'm finished. Thank you. And so Jessica's like, um, I would just like to make a brief statement. Um, it's like, all right, well, hopefully you're, you're more brief than your counterpart from New York. So Jessica proceeds to use facts and common sense to slaughter the cannery bill. Okay, research, humanity, clarity, and like I said, common sense. She's clearly not an amateur at this, okay? <laughs> so it's funny because Ray had said, you know, basically amateurs are the ones who get hurt. Well, I guess Ray and Harry are the amateurs because they're the ones who got destroyed. Okay, destroyed. Now, Harry, you know, he's a lobbyist. He can, you know, he can take his hits and keep it moving. But Ray, he's the vice president of Pendrake Food. Now, he got to go back and explain why they have to revitalize the canneries they already have or find research a new location because Maine ain't it. McHenry's point is a dead point. Ray and Harry clearly played themselves. They should have read up about Jessica uh, before they came and thought they knew what they were doing. They've been playing the game wrong because they got destroyed. So... (laughs) And she did it so classily. And then got basically... well not a standing ovation but got applause I don't even know if that normally happens in committee meetings but everybody even the chairperson was applauding and they were trying to shrink and disappear in their seats (laughs) embarrassed so now that's done Jessica then rushes off to the apartment Ray's apartment and I believe that is where they had the party that we, from the opening scene, I think that this is, it was Ray's apartment that they were in. 
Anyway, so we see someone entering with a key. The camera pans up and it's Joe. Um, and then Mendelssohn walks in as Joe is trying to plant the photos in, um, I think it's like a break front. There's a name for that, that piece of furniture. So he he's caught planting photos. And Mendelssohn's like, oh, that's really sloppy. Like, that's really... Sir, honestly, who do you think you're tricking? Who do you think you're fooling? So then Jessica walks in and um, we she then breaks it all down. That Joe and Marta were working together. That um, he didn't have any scrapes or bruises or makeup or blood on his hands because he was wearing his driving gloves, which conveniently disappeared after Marta was murdered. They, we, they were never to be seen again. And she said, it's extremely difficult to get makeup and blood out of suede. How does Jessica know that? Now, makeup I can understand, but how does she know it's difficult to get blood out of suede? What brought it all together, and I and pointed Joe, pointed the finger at Joe, was that he said Marta had picked up Kepner in front of Stockman's bar. And to which Joe was like, well, no, it was in the police report. And she said, it could not have been because Kepner didn't know which bar he went into. He could not remember. He was roaming the streets and just ducked into a bar. So the only way you could have known is if Marta told you. So now Joe's mask of being this well put together, in the know, DC playboy, uh, press agent. His mask had started to slip as soon as Mendelssohn walked in and caught him. Now it's completely gone. His mask is completely off and we see who he really is. He says, you buy and you sell. People, legislation, influence. There's a price tag on everything and everyone. Marta Craig got a little too big for her pantyhose. Now, end quote. Now, that's deep. Okay. (laughs) That is cold-blooded. Cold-blooded. His mask is off. He does not care. It was all about money. She was just a means to an end. She wasn't even a person to him. He was so mad that she would dare ask him for a bigger cut that or maybe she was trying to do some hustling on the side without him. Whatever she did or whatever he believed she did or a combination of both made him so mad that he was willing to use his two fists on this woman until she was dead. I'm thinking this through. Now, he had to be in Marta's apartment. He had to know. They must have agreed to bring Kefner up there and drug him. So I'm guessing that um, Joe is the person who took the picture of her, of Marta and Thor. And that Joe was in the apartment already when Kefner came up. He had his drink. And um, I guess Marta just thought that they were going to do another, like he passes out, get him in bed, 
undressed and take these photos of him um, to get money out of him. But Joe had a different plan because he was already wait had to already be waiting up there for their the plan with Marta to to do another blackmail situation. But once Kepner was out, maybe that's the point that she demanded more money or she or Joe already had decided that this was it. But I'm thinking that Joe was already in the apartment. Kepner comes in with her, has the drink, has the ginger ale that's laced with, you know, uh, a roofie or whatever. And he goes out. And maybe at this point, Marta was like, yo, I want more money. I'm taking all of the risk. I'm the one who's out in the street, you know, you know, also Ray's getting real spicy. You know, he, you know, yesterday or two days ago, however it falls in this timeline, he got me over at the water gate. He grabbed me. He was yelling at me in the street. Um, You know, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, Or if I, or, you know, unless I'm not going to do this anymore, unless I get a bigger cut to which, uh, Joe was like, oh, no, ma'am. Okay. No, no, no. And I'm guessing an argument ensued. And whatever she said, whatever he believed she was doing, or whatever she did, made this obviously psychotic man so mad that he literally beat this woman to death with his two fists. And then after that, proceeded to set Kepner up. He had the perfect stooge right there. He had the perfect scapegoat right there. So immediately after murdering this woman, put this into effect. Put this setup into effect. So Joe was clearly psychotic that at the drop of a dime, that he was willing to murder somebody and then set someone up. I don't know why they thought that he would have money enough for them to blackmail him um, unless they were going to blackmail him. Oh, you know what it is? It's because their plan, um, when Wendell died, they no longer had a hold on Kepner to go along with the cannery bill. So now they had to go to plan B, which was setting up this second blackmail to have him in bed with um, Marta, setting that up so they could use that to blackmail him, not for money, but for his vote to pass the cannery bill. Wow. And then Marta asked for too much. We're assuming, like, we don't know. We don't know because clearly Joe is psychotic. We don't know what she could have done. She could have sneezed and he could have just been set off and and killed her. We don't know. Uh, He just said she got 
a little too big for her pantyhose, which would make me assume that she was requesting a bigger cut, like Jessica had said. But this was really written well, where if you sit down and dissect it, there's a lot of meat to this that wasn't discussed, alluded to, or different conclusions that you can come to um, that are right in line with the evidence that they've given us. But anyway, let me wrap this up. So Jessica um, is standing there while they take um, Joe away. And honestly, they should have more than one uniformed officer because he's crazy. And he really like turns around and snatches his shoulder when the police officer puts his hand on there to on his shoulder to uh, handcuff him. I was like, oh, no, is he about to get spicy? Like, is he, is he about to fight the police? Oh, shoot, this is about to get real serious here. There clearly should have been more than one police officer when this person murdered someone so brutally. But you know what? I'm I'm not a police officer, so okay. Um, Mendelssohn, after uh, Joe is taken away, Jessica's like, you know, he's wrong. For every um, Harry Parnell and Ray Dixon, there are, you know, several Wendell Joiners. So I don't know if she said Kepner too, but, you know, Kepner is a good guy in this too. So Mendelssohn was like, well, what happened with your bill? She was like, what? So what happened with your vote? It's like, oh, the cannery bill. Oh, um, we it was struck down unanimously. So as they're leaving the apartment, um, after Ray's apartment, after Joe has now been carted off to, to jail, um, Mendelssohn is like, oh, you know, I have a, a doctor's appointment, whichever doctor he said, right, at two o'clock, but I have some time. Maybe we can grab something to eat. I know this little deli. I know my cousin, I think he said my cousin owns a deli, um, this little deli. It has a lox and cream cheese. Did he say lox and cream cheese? Lox and something, platter um, that you would die for, right? And she was like, oh, lox, is that something like gefilte fish? To which, <laughs> I now I've never had gefilte fish, but I've definitely had lox and cream cheese on a bagel and the whole, you know, I'm also a, a New Yorker. So like the good quality of all of it. Um, Mendelssohn says, Mrs. F, for such a bright woman, you've led a very uninformed life. Permit me the pleasure of educating you. <laughs> but... Now I'm hungry, so um, I, will, <laughs> I will bid you guys farewell uh, for this week's episode of Capital Offense. Again, another one that I really, really, really love, except for one issue, which I've discussed at nauseum. But um, again, next week, we will be talking about Broadway Malady and as I said earlier, <laughs> I am a fan of Cabot Cove Confidential, and I, like Damien, thought that it was Broadway Milady. So, <laughs> and did not realize until I actually listened to their episode that it was Broadway Malady. 
So I am also guilty of thinking it was that. And that whole malady malady thing brings to mind an episode of Family Guy. This one scene where Lois's parents, um, I forget what her mother, Barbara, her mother's name is Barbara and her father's name is Carter. Barbara wakes up and she's like, oh, Carter, I heard something. You know, I think someone's in the house. And he wakes up and he says, oh, dear, it's probably the wind. And she's like, honey, it's wind. It's pronounced wind. And she's he's like, oh, I've only seen it written. I, I didn't know. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh, that's what that's supposed to mean. Malady makes so much more sense. But I, I too, thought it was milady. So... <laughs> Next week, we'll discuss that. If you want early access to Broadway Malady, then you can go over to Patreon and search The Fletcher Files and sign up. Um, other, otherwise, I will see you back next week on whatever podcast platform you listen to this on. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and give a five-star rating to me on Apple Podcast, but most importantly, have an extremely happy and healthy holiday and new year. I'll see you guys next week. Bye.